Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing... The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, the Premier League continues to be back. So too do we here on the Sports Social Podcast Network every Wednesday with the What If Football Podcast, reviewing Premier League seasons. We've gone through the end of the 20th century. Now we are firmly entrenched in the 2000s. Not as nostalgia at its best. We are going to review the 2002-03 Premier League season. Arsenal are the champions. Can they retain? Let's find out. Yes, we are here every single Wednesday, here until Christmas on the Sports Social Podcast Network. We have a little treat for you, whoever has been uh, listening to us every single week since we've been on the Sports Social Podcast Network. We've got quite the surprise for the World Cup, which will be daily come the tournament at the end of the year. But for now, we'll be reviewing the Premier League, we'll be reviewing the Champions League as we do year on year, week on week, with a couple of little bits thrown in for good measure. Today is the turn of the 2002-03 season, and let's just get the list out of the way that we always cover on this podcast. Wimbledon of 2000, Bradford of 2001, we've got Derby of 2002, welcoming to the Hall of Shame, the stable of deterioration we have Sunderland. Now, they had started life off in the Premier League. They returned to the Premier League incredibly well with two seventh-place finishes. The the dream team of Niall Quinn, of Kevin Phillips, the manager Peter Reid, of course, as well. It was working a dream. Seventh, seventh, and unfortunately then, tanking to 17th. Now, Niall Quinn 
he was gone with both Marcus Stewart and Tori Andrea Flo, two strikers who were recently in incredible form for the likes of Chelsea and Ipswich in the Premier League. So proven goal scorers at this level, neither though could uh, get into a groove at the Stadium of Lights. And perhaps the biggest mistake that Sunderland made was sacking Peter Reid so soon after the start of the season. By that point, really, it was all over. Sunderland are officially, speaking in 2003, of course, the worst Premier League team on record with 19 points. They won four matches in that time. And to be fair, all against decent opposition. Liverpool, Leeds, Champions League teams of years gone by. Aston Villa and Tottenham teams that by reputation probably ought to be in the top half more so than not. And what the season can be characterised by the last 20 matches, which is, of course, more than half the season. But let's look at the last 20 matches in terms of results. You've got 18 losses and you've got two draws, which is, well, no other way around it. That's relegation form. There's no way that you could not get relegated with that form unless, of course, you've won the previous 18 matches, which, to be honest, is very unlikely. You've only got Kevin Kilbarn and Sean Thornton and Marcus Stewart in Sunderland shirts scoring for Sunderland in the Premier League at one each, aside from Kevin Phillips's dizzying heights of three goals. And now it's up to Mick McCarthy, who comes in at the end of the season. The team's already doomed, but he's just in there to get in before the pre-season. He's in there now to bring them back up, and we'll see sooner rather than later though, what he can do with the Black Cats vis-a-vis a return to the top flight. We've got a newly promoted team going straight back down and in fairness, nothing was really ever expected of West Brom and they too performed like a 20th place team. They conceded 65 goals just like Sunderland. Nobody in their lineup, not even Danny Dicchio, could score more than five Premier League goals in the term and that really spells danger for any team. We've spoken about Rory Delap top scoring for Derby in seasons gone by when they'd nearly got relegated with eight goals. Nobody scoring more than five Premier League goals is a bit of a disaster. And across the whole team, 29 goals scored. They are called uh, the baggies, boing, boing. And I'm sure they'll be boinging back up to the Premier League and cultivating quite the tag of uh, yo-yo men. We'll be obviously discussing that in the coming weeks. But we've Less than 30 points. I would say less than 30 points is uh, 20th place form, if I'm being brutally honest with you, because we see here in 18th place, teams then get sucked into the relegation battle, not really deserving to be so with 42 points, which we'd seen in prior years has been comfortably safe, despite being quite close to the dotted line. But in 42 points of previous years, it's always been above Always been above 18th spot, at least in a 38-game season. So we've got four teams here who don't really deserve to be in a dogfight because they pick up enough points, in my opinion, anyway. A point per game should be enough. It absolutely should be enough. Not always is enough, of course, if there is a team that are drastically worse than the uh, worse than the rest and you don't have a ridiculous runaway leader, which we don't this season. We don't this season. The difference is about five points, I think, in the title race here. So we go to West Ham, who were the unlucky ones to go down in this season. It had all gone wrong, unfortunately, for Glenn Roder, who masterminded 7th place the previous season. He was unfortunately taken ill towards the back end of the season. And Trevor Brookin was made caretaker until the end. 
They won three games before Christmas all the way from home and their first win at Upton Park really set the seeds for the remainder of the uh, season really. The first win at Upton Park was uh, against Blackburn in late January. There though their form picked up. Of the last 11 games they would win half a dozen. Unfortunately it all came crashing down with a 2-2 draw against Birmingham. Birmingham themselves like West Brom newly promoted so we lose two Midlands clubs in Derby and Leicester, two promoted straight back up in West Brom and Birmingham, but from the other side of the Midlands, the West Midlands. And uh, despite gaining 42 points, a record, they are they are down. And uh, Bolton's season, fairly similar to West Ham's. Three wins before Christmas. They, got, of course, got their annual win at Old Trafford. Stunned Elland Road too, but by that by this point, really, I'm not sure it's the the massive coup, the massive shock that it, uh, of course, once was. And uh, like West Ham, Bolton pulled their noses up winning six of their last dozen or so games, 13 games. The only difference between themselves and West Ham is that they they drew more and lost less, which we speak I speak about this all the time on the first half of these podcasts. Drawing games is in- incredibly important, perhaps more so than winning <laughs> in a uh, kind of a backwards way, because there, there's no team going to go for an entire league season not winning a game. I mean, Derby came pretty close. Um, again, we'll be discussing that soon. Winning just one game of 38. So you've got to draw at least a dozen games, in my opinion, to sort of get yourselves up out there. Because if you think you probably will win if you're a fairly bad team, to average team, probably win between seven and ten games, let's say. So a dozen draws there becomes the difference between relegation and staying afloat, really. And the most iconic of these draws for Bolton is a two-goal comeback, a very late comeback against Arsenal in April, which would have massive ramifications at the top of the table in the title race, of course. Arsenal always perpetually with Arsene Wenger involved, of course, they are holders. And it involved JJ Okocha, one of the signings, really, of recent years, which lit up the Premier League. JJ Okocha was incredible for Bolton and showed this really bizarre, incredible pull that Bolton had, similar to what Middlesbrough used to have with the likes of Juninho, Emerson, Ravinelli, uh, Boxic. You also had um, Ravinelli, yes, and uh, Christian Carambo. With Bolton, you've got Jorge, Fierro, <laughs> Kocha. It was quite an incredible uh, reach that they had in the transfer market. They did finish lower than the previous season, but had a better season by way of points. So I wouldn't say this is... I wouldn't even say this is a stagnation from Bolton because they are heading somewhere. That Yes, it was 17th compared to 16th, but higher points tally, they should have really been mid-table here with the 44 points that they did get. But um, that is the way the Premier League was in 2002-03. Aston Villa, we've been speaking about how boring and low-key they've been in 6th, 8th, ninth, 7th positions recently. They would have killed for that in this season. Dion Dublin, though, still hanging in there, still banging in the majority of Aston Villa's goals. It's a lesser season than the prior two or three, of course. A bit of an indifferent start leading into a poor Christmas time. And then from then on in, it's sort of the inconsistencies of mid-table that they're more used to. And that's because of the the poor first half of the season. This is where you get the the 16th place finish from. You get the... the inconsistency to an absolute T, four losses becoming three draws, becoming two wins, that kind of form that's uh, in blocks there that uh, isn't really conducive to top half football, what 
Aston Villa, uh, uh, I used to really, UEFA Cup stints, FA Cup finals, etc., League Cup finals of uh, previous years gone by, they would seal their survival with a penultimate weekend late win at home to an already down Sunderland. So we see here, we're talking here, 16th place, we're still looking at teams getting safe on the penultimate weekend, such was the uh, the high points threshold of um, of relegation. And we go to another huge team from Aston Villa to Leeds and obviously the bubble had burst. Successive seasons away from the Champions League means departures for Robbie Keane, Lee Bowie, Jonathan Woodgate, Robbie Fowler and most famously Rio Ferdinand. Still though, they do record impressive wins. Chelsea, Man United, Arsenal running on fumes though were Leeds financially. Quality-wise on the pitch, they've given quite a lot of those players to their rivals, Jonathan Woodgate to uh, to Newcastle, Rio Ferdinand, of course, to uh, to Manchester United, and is um, obviously with losing probably five or six of your absolute top top players, maybe outside of Viduka, Kuehl, and um, Alan Smith, you are obviously going to dive down in the uh, the standings here, sinking without a trace. And that's before we even get to the management situation because David O'Leary is um, is gone from the club. Terry Venables, despite his reputation, he's in charge until March, not managed in the Premier League for quite some time. He's quickly replaced by Peter Reid, who, uh, of course, couldn't save Sunderland. So I have a feeling we'll be adding leads to the likes of uh, the names that we mentioned at the top of today's show, which is becoming... Longer and longer as we run through these Premier League podcasts at the start of this season. Let's dive into the middle of the table, the mid-table. Fulham, they navigated a stereotypically difficult second season and back in the Premier League without much doubt of their safety, really. Just like the, the prior season, yes, they might have dropped a place, but still fantastic for Fulham. They should have been aiming for 17th place every season. Despite, obviously, big money being spent, it's still quite the uh, culture shock coming from the first division to the premiership as it was at the time. Meanwhile, Birmingham City, they were back in the big time for the first time since 1986 and looked incredibly good under Steve Bruce, negotiating that 13th place finish with a great end to the season and doing essentially what Fulham did the prior year. And it's now up to Fulham and Birmingham in the following season. If they can now breach that top half of the table, maybe they're caught in between sort of obviously relegation and returning to to the second tier and pushing on and making something of it and you don't want to be a Charlton or a Middlesbrough who performed quite typical seasons for their clubs lower mid-table 12th and 11th typical seasons for the Addicts and the Borough Jason Ewell in the goals for Charlton Alvin Kerbishley solid as ever team in mid-table everything running pristinely for Charlton in what is their third season back let's not forget Middlesbrough, they had Massimo Macaroni to thank for their safety. Uh, another unremarkable season for Middlesbrough, but under Steve McLaren, in the coming weeks when we review the Premier League as ever, it'll pick up, I'm certain of it. Spurs, they were, of course, still routinely, as ever, a big club, and a big club sort of in the shadows. Robbie Keane, an inspired purchase from Leeds, of course, still a team inconsistent, but in the top half, just they were firmly in 10th place, and only behind a new team into the division. Manchester City, a promising return for Kevin Keegan's City. They, of course, bid goodbye to Main Road with uh, a first Manchester derby win in almost a decade, maybe even more. 
and of course purchased Nicholas Anelka. They'll be moving to the City of Manchester Stadium, soon to be renamed, of course, and potentially a springboard to Europe. The Obviously, the first aim for City is to negotiate safety, which they've done now with a big manager like Kevin Keegan, fond memories of the past, challenging for titles. Whilst nobody's getting their head in the clouds to that extent, you'd uh, be expecting a top-half finish again, potential European football as well for the Citizens, although I don't think that um, that weird nickname has quite stuck yet. Um, I don't know, don't know when it was born. I'm pretty sure it's a recent thing, that. And we have ending our first half of the show, Southampton and another incredible season for James Beattie. 23 Premier League goals, which has him on the precipice of the England squad. They get to the FA Cup final and they are in eighth place. And that is quite possibly as good as it will ever get around this time for Southampton. James Beattie, one of the better goal scorers in the division. An eighth place, really bedding in to the St. Mary's Stadium, aren't they? And uh, the future does look bright for the Saints after this short break, we'll be looking at the top seven and the race for Europe and the title showdown between Manchester United and Arsenal <laughs> again. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, full work limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Stick around. Welcome back. So we left you in the first half of today's show with an incredible season for Southampton and we had almost as an incredible a season for Blackburn. Seventh place, they have got quite the front three with Andy Cole and Dwight York rekindling their relationship from Manchester United, picking up the big scalps of Man United, Leeds, Arsenal, Chelsea and Newcastle. All huge names still, still even Leeds, huge name. And of course you've got Damien Duff in there, David Dunn. An incredible team. A run to the League Cup semi-final. Couldn't quite retain their trophy. And a superb end to the season, which um, guaranteed them a top seven finish. Everton, likewise, proving tough to beat. David Moyes got them playing uh, playing great football. We've seen the debut of Wayne Rooney burst onto the scene with that late winning goal against Arsenal, which ended their undefeated run. And quite the start to uh, the season for Everton, who uh, this is David Moyes' first full season in charge. Slightly tapered off towards the end, so there's not going to be Champions League football. Might have been more, but uh, the Champions League race devolved into just two teams, and it was between Liverpool and Chelsea. Liverpool were back under the permanent manager of management of Gerard Houllier, of course, after he took that uh, six-month illness break the prior season, which did hamper their title race a little bit. 
The season, though, for Liverpool will be remembered for the £20 million match to end the Premier League season. And, of course, a bit of silverware after uh, a trophyless season in 2001-2, but a return to the Champions League quarterfinals. Here, though, they were in the League Cup final, beating Manchester United, of course. You've got the maturity of... Steven Gerrard, a little bit to a lesser extent of Jamie Carragher in defence, but up front you've got Michael Owen banging the goals in as ever, and Milan Barros was uh, quite the signing as well from the continent. They were unbeaten until November, picking up where they left off essentially in the prior season, but that unfortunately became a winless run of 11, and that sees them drop out of the title race and essentially was detrimental to their Champions League qualifications and um, made things ever so slightly shaky, as did a penultimate weekend loss to Manchester City. And it meant that they needed to go to Stamford Bridge and win to gain Champions League football in the £20 million match. For Chelsea, Gianfranco Zola had a superb final season. For the Blues, we bid goodbye to Zola in the Barclays. And of course, it is Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank. It's Ida Good Johnson, as ever, carrying Chelsea, as they had done in the previous three seasons, to be honest, and becoming increasingly important, hoping to fill the void of Zola that would, he would leave behind this summer. It's Frank Lampard in his second season at the club. They did go toe-to-toe with the likes of Newcastle and Arsenal, title challengers in the early seasons, beat Leeds as well in a, an incredible run, as much as what's that that's worth in 2003. They, would, they should have really, we shouldn't have really got a £20 million match because Chelsea should have wrapped up Champions League football well in advance. But in failing to London rivals, Fulham and West Ham, it is then just the, the point between Liverpool and Chelsea. And it is Marcel Desailly, Jesper Gronkiar scoring the goals, which confirmed Champions League football just in time for a bit of a Russian revolution. But of course, more on that one next time and for quite some time to come here on this podcast. So we go to the top three. Newcastle United firmly entrenched in the Champions League race and made quite a good fist of Champions League football in their first outing since 1997-98. Got through the first round, unlike the prior season under uh, Kevin Keegan and Kenny Dalglish there. They'd added Titus Bramble, Hugo Viana and Jonathan Woodgate had Champions League football to celebrate Hugo Viana, although not having quite the career he wanted, although many predicted in the northeast, did score an incredibly invaluable goal in Rotterdam in a 3-2 win against Feyenoord, which, in my opinion, is probably Newcastle's greatest night in Champions League football because it is a it's a last-minute winner from Craig Bellamy. It's confirming their passage to the last 16, which, unfortunately for Newcastle, doesn't come in the guise of a, a two-legged knockout round match. It's a second group phase where the likes of Inter Milan, Bayer Leverkusen, Barcelona, and it's a bit of a group of death, which Newcastle do take to the final day, but it probably does um, with the juggling of 12 Champions League matches, not to discount the two qualifiers prior as well. It does really stop them from properly challenging in the title race. And they are quite a way away from the top because despite beating... Arsenal quite comfortably the prior season they do concede 11 goals in two matches against Manchester United only take one point against Arsenal so there you're looking at a loss of 11 points from a potential 12 there in those matches and that is obviously quite the jump to the what have been the two dominating clubs in um, in English football and speaking of Arsenal won the FA Cup 
yet again. What was Chelsea in 2002 is now Southampton. You've got Colo Torre becoming part of the backline after Tony Adams' retirement. Lee Dixon has obviously retired and in his place, you've got the likes of Loren and obviously Ashley Cole, as we spoke of last time. They were the champions. They'd added Gilberto to a midfield, which is now peak Arsenal midfield. Gilberto, Patrick Vieira. Patrick Vieira is now given licence to roam. You've got Perez and Lundberg on either flank. Thierry Henry and a litany of second strikers, first and foremost, obviously, Dennis Bergkamp. All change in terms of the... Uh, the midfield, potentially a little bit up front, but that's more to come in the uh, coming weeks. But uh, a, a more defensively sturdy Arsenal than what won them the league, funnily enough. But it's not enough here. It's losses against Everton ending that unbeaten run because of the uh, 16-year-old Wayne Rooney and losses to the likes of Blackburn, Southampton and Manchester United at Old Trafford. And in a bit of a title showdown the following year, April, Man United essentially needed a draw to make themselves firm favourites. 2-2 with Ryan Giggs' equaliser and a phenomenal solo goal from Ruud van Nistelrooy. There is a bit of a sense at United that the transition from 4-4-2 to a 4-2-3-1, which is essentially Ruud van Nistelrooy up top on his own. Oli Solskjaer deputised a little bit on the right as well. And once Eber Veron's clicking into gear a little bit, obviously you had the... Uh, Rejuvenation in defence, you've got Dennis Irwin, Ronnie Johnson, Henningberg, David May. They're all in, in the past now, and you've got Rio Ferdinand, Mikael Silvestri coming to maturity, John O'Shea graduating from the academy as well. And it really helped for United, considering their tactical approach, that Paul Scholes banged in 20 goals. Ruud van Nistelrooy was approaching a club record in terms of goals for a season. Obviously, it would fall somewhere short of the likes of Dennis Law and George Best. But those goals were essentially the difference between United and Arsenal. And in a massive December, where United had really struggled for goals, his games against the likes of Tottenham and Middlesbrough, it's a 1-0 Ruud van Nistelrooy penalty. That transforms, really, with the the triple header against Newcastle, Liverpool and Arsenal, the, four, the three big title rivals for United this season, as viewed from the start of the season anyway. And those nine points from nine... Give in succession, give life to a bit of a limp start. And by that point, by the second half of the season, near near unstoppable, near impossible to beat. Diego Forlan scoring a 90th minute winner against Chelsea certainly helps things as well in the league. And it's just big wins against big teams like that. 4-0 against Liverpool. The 2-2 draw at Highbury, which really, really makes United fans believe that they are capable of winning the league. And this really is a blip for Arsenal, or rather a bit of an outlier as we move from the the treble winning team. This is the last team where we see Beckham, Skulls, Keane and Giggs all in the uh, the midfield, of course, with David Beckham's departure. So this is probably the last hurrah for United for quite some time on this podcast as the, uh, the transition runs deeper and uh, see if we can get a, another team out of the blocks, which Roy Keane had been calling for for about two, two, three years after the uh, failure to compound that Champions League win in 99 with another success in Europe. Another quarterfinal exit here. It was semi-finals the prior year and they've still not gotten over this hurdle, but they have regained their Premier League. And that is all we've got time for 
today. We'll see if United can make it two from two in 2004 or whether Arsenal can come back or whether a Russian revolution from Chelsea can make an imprint on the title race. We'll figure that out next week when we return for our fifth and until a couple of weeks time final episode of the Barclays podcast as of course the Champions League's returning we've got to cover that haven't we but until then thank you very much for listening and silly Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.